0: Hello, everyone, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a stupendous, did I say stupendous? A stupendous podcast, I guarantee. (laughs) My my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I have authored a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon. In paperback and ebook. And volumes one through seven and soon eight are available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon in audio format. Please do check out a couple and purchase them. And now, my brother Kevin. How are you, Kevin?
1: I'm doing great, Bill. I'm looking forward to a stupendous podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Do it right yeah. or get out.
1: How's the weather up there today? You getting a little bit of uh, warmth? We had a beautiful day today.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was warm today, but uh, I'd say mostly cloudy. A couple of little spritzes here and there.
1: Ah, oh, but okay. uh,
0: we got a little uh, water coming our way over the next week here and there. Okay, but it's good. You know, you need that.
1: Yeah, uh, no, we we had like the first. Uh, Nearly summer day, yeah um, so it's it's good i'm, I'm uh, I think I'm ready for it too,
0: yeah, we had a <laughs> couple of, you know uh yesterday uh Paula and I went down to uh West Hampton, yeah, and uh we were sneaking around the beach over there in the car, and I uh, went into the little town of West Hampton now West Hampton doesn't even have a supermarket. Uh, okay. The guy in the pizzeria told me, no, we used to have a Best Buy, but they got rid of it. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, so what do the people do over here? I guess people go to another town, uh, get groceries or whatnot, and bring them back over there, you know?
1: Yeah, they're all, they're all pretty close together out there.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, what a beautiful place, man. And they had this little yeah. town set up uh, that you could just walk through. And check out all the little shops, you know. You didn't you didn't need to drive in there. It lasted about an eighth of a mile, two sides of the street, and everything was pristine and you know, as you can imagine, uh probably quite pricey. I was
1: gonna say, <laughs> did you get yourself like a Louis Vuitton bag or something?
0: <laughs> hey Kev, you know, uh Louis, not exactly my bag. I was thinking to carry shotgun shells, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. That's it. You get you get yourself a fifteen hundred dollar bag and load it up with twelve gauge.
1: <laughs> I figured you'd go in there and say like, "Hey, you, you got one of these? That's a little smaller, than I can fill up with twelve gauge
0: shells." Yeah, with dirt under my fingernails.
1: <laughs> Two minutes later, the West Hampton <laughs> police would
0: <didn't> be there. Ah, <laughs> uh, ha. <laughs> So
1: speaking of which, Bill, um, not the police being there or the shotgun shells, but I know uh, we haven't talked about it in a while. And I know we got some mail about it where people um, don't know why we talk this way other than how weird we are, but how we talk as we're so far apart from one another. And, you know, I live down in North Carolina and Bill lives up in Long Island, New York, and uh it's been that way for many years, so we're about six hundred miles apart, and we do this podcast every week on skype and uh so, if you're wondering why we're acting like we're so far away from each other, well, we are away, we are that far away
0: from each other <laughs> uh yes, well, that's the way it is, you know that's the no way doubt. it is. No doubt. So what do you got tonight, bro, in our Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities segment? Well,
1: yeah, as you know, I am planning a little uh, hiking vacation, maybe running into a hairy man or some bear or something like that for this summer up in uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. Uh-huh. And today we're going to Maine. Excellent. To look at a very old account Of a hairy man encounter.
0: (laughs) I love the hairy man. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) And I like the old ones, too. It's not that I don't like the new, uh, but I like that there's some age to this discussion. Oh, yeah.
1: There's definitely some age here. All right. This story uh, occurred in the same month that the Statue of Liberty was dedicated in New York.
0: Wow. Wow. 1886. Kev, so help me. Before you said it, I was going to take a shot at 1886. <laughs> See, and I should have
1: asked you, but I didn't want to yep. put you on
0: the spot. And you pulled the trigger, and I was like, darn, I had that thing. I was uh, I, <laughs> I was afraid you
1: were going to say 1776. <laughs> I was just trying uh, to help a brother out. You uh, know?
0: Yeah, I know. I mean... You know, like they say in Europe, you know, history in Europe goes by thousand-year increments. Oh, yeah. And history in the States go by hundred-year increments, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, But uh, I was going to crack a joke and say the French didn't know how to make the metal work in 1776. (laughs) No offense to my French listeners.
1: Come on, it's a beautiful gift from (laughs) France.
0: Yeah, and they redid that not all that long ago. They did all the... Copper work and the internal supports and everything.
1: Yeah. Now, Bill, have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty? I have not. I haven't either. Yeah. It's hysterical. I think you know, like I've I've sailed around the Statue of Liberty in that race that used to be on the Fourth of July, the regatta there, about twenty times, um, but I've never uh, I've never set foot on Liberty Island or whatever it's called.
0: And hey, listen, don't let on to Eric. The, uh lobster man up in Maine who's hoping you're gonna come catch a lobster with him this summer oh, well, but
1: what do you mean don't don't let onto him
0: well, he thinks you're gonna puke your lunch oh yeah. You know, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't know that you're a sailor, you know what I mean oh now you test now you're tempting him bill he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna take me out to make me puke my lunch. <laughs> Impossible, <clears throat> French Frenchman. Oh, I was going to tell
1: Eric if if I get sick out there, we got problems. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this
1: story was uh, printed uh, again in, uh, or told about again, in the Bangor Daily News in on October twenty seventh, twenty thirteen. So not that long ago, but the original story occurred in eighteen eighty six in a handful of newspapers in New England. Okay. So, you know, they talk about it as uh, what today, of course, this is in 1886. Today, we'd call it a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. But back then, they called it a 10-foot-tall wild man. Wow. Yeah, so we hear about these (laughs) wild men, right? Okay. Now, let me ask you something. It, it, It was in some New England papers... Yeah, it was in the uh, the water the Waterville Sentinel, I'm which sure. was a weekly paper, but it no longer exists. Okay. But then uh, a paper called the Waterville Morning Sentinel was established about twenty years later in nineteen o four, and I think that still exists.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering if it was that uh, Maine at the time didn't have a newspaper. Oh no, they had they had a few newspapers. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah.
1: So let her rib. Um, yeah. So uh this in this story they describe it as a ten foot tall wild man with seven foot long arms and hair grow, growing all over his face and body. Pretty impressive, yeah, right? Monster. Sounds a little familiar. Yeah. <laughs> that's and they, they, and they say that the main story, this story starts in early October, so in the fall, right? It might even be snow flying by then in Maine. Uh-huh. When an, a frightened Frenchman from over the line, and maybe he's Canadian, right? I don't know what that means.
0: I think over the
1: border. Yeah, yeah that's yep. what I was thinking. Arrived in the Elm City to weave a frightened tale of woe, according to an excerpt from the Sentinel. Wow. Um, the Frenchman's story, which is implicitly believed, is that three men were camping out in the woods about 100 miles north of Moosehead Lake in Maine. Oh. Two of the campers were away from the camp for a week and came back to find the dead body of their companion.
0: Oh, boy. Exactly.
1: And this unnamed Frenchman, the storyteller, they say possibly Canadian, so that makes sense, had his fellows in town all by the ears. So, this is obviously a bit of old English, right, in this story. Yeah. I'm yep. reading it as it's written.
0: Probably in a tavern or the uh, alehouse of some sorts, right? Exactly. Exactly. Unbelievable.
1: And he says, when he and the other camper discovered their friend was dead, they searched out others to form a posse to find his killers. Mm. They went for help and reinforced by a dozen others, searched the woods for the unknown murderer. It proved to be a terrible wild man, 10 feet tall, with arms 7 feet in length, covered with long brown hair. The party fired several shots at him and finally succeeded in reaching a fatal spot, laying the monster down.
0: Uh, Did they mention anything about the condition of the man that was found? They didn't. Uh, They didn't. Yeah, just murdered. Yeah, I I would imagine murdered in a... Brutal way. Yeah, some type of brutal way.
1: Yeah, busted
0: up or something. Yeah, stomped on, head busted open, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, and they talk about how the story spread into all of the other newspapers around there. I won't get into all of the all of the newspapers, but the Verm- a Vermont newspaper started its story: the wild man is coming to the
0: front this fall. <laughs> <laughs> and this was eighteen eighty six that the whole thing went down. Yeah. That's incredible. October 1886. Now, uh, he said his camp was about 100 miles, what, north of Moosehead Bay? North Head of Bank?
1: Moosehead Lake. So right up there, you know, in uh, you know, what we would call Quebec today, close to Quebec, if not in Quebec.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if there was nothing there, if there's little up there as far as population today, imagine what was there in uh, in the 1880s. Right. You know right. And
1: they talk about here, you know, that other sightings go back to the 1850s, so back about 35 years earlier, and then there's local legends from the Native Americans there of a devil that the uh, Native Americans called Pamula. Hmm. And I think Eric told us that name, too, right, in his mail.
0: I'd have to refresh myself. I think it was Pamula, he mentioned. Pamula. Yeah. Crazy, man. Yeah. You know, and at, then, we, talk, we talk about the uh, Bigfoot here, the larger ones, you know, like the nine-footers or so. Uh, yep. Even some of the eight-footers, people have said six-foot in arm length. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, now we go up to what's purported to be a 10-footer. Yeah. And uh, now, look, we have to assume that the 10-footer was accurate because they put this thing down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like there was a body. They don't have pictures of
1: it or sketches, but they also said in the article that in that day it was very rare to have uh, photographs uh, in uh, or even sketches in the newspaper up
0: there. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I would venture to not, say... Not hard to imagine, right? Right. Or even having a camera usable by somebody. Oh, no. Especially out in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, it would have been so. a big to-do, how to preserve the body, all that crap exactly but exactly. Uh, wow that's incredible uh, any other encounters in the 1850s that we you touched on that's the only
1: one that was written about and then there's a lot of other encounters through time including some modern day ones huh. you want to you want to hear about a modern day certainly. one certainly all right so uh, this one was back in 2017 so not that long ago yeah and um, this uh, says, uh, uh, it's a quote from a gentleman named Dennis Frazier, who lives in a place called Durham, Maine. Okay, He says, people don't say anything. They don't want people to think they're a screwball, but I don't care. Hmm. Like I said, I'm going to be 80 in another week. If they don't want to believe me, I don't care. I know what I saw, and it was standing right in front of me.
0: There you go. We've heard that before, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I like the feisty bugger. He is a feisty
1: bugger. <laughs> uh, for, so he said that this encounter happened in his driveway two years prior,
0: Whoa.
1: and he said it was uh, about quarter to six in the morning. He backed the car up out of the driveway, and uh, he says, "Right up." He says, "I go right up the driveway." And when I get to the top of the hill, I see this black thing. I slam the brakes on and I almost hit it. Hmm. This thing wasn't much more than six feet high, but absolutely humongous. Hmm. Estimated it weighed between 350 and 400 pounds. He said it was completely coal black. It had long black hair. The face was white. And he said, it all happened in three or four seconds. I couldn't see any protrusion of the face, just huge oblong eyes, like it was either surprised or scared to death. I don't know which. Wow. And then it turned, and it walked right into the woods.
0: Man, that's about the size of, like, uh, these days, your typical offensive or defensive lineman. Exactly. Remember your your buddy, Kev Big John? Oh, yeah. That guy was a big boy, man. Yeah, he was six eight, two seventy. Yeah, he was a lightweight next to a Bigfoot. <laughs> but I remember the first time I saw him with you, and I was like, holy cow, man, this cat is big.
1: Yeah, he made me look like a toddler. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean he make most people look like a toddler. Yeah. And yeah. uh Kevin's friend John played for the New York Giants. And the Jets. And the Jets. That's right, Jumbo Jumbo Elliott. Yeah, he was a big bugger, man. What yeah. did he weigh in at once he got into the uh, pros? Did he uh, pick up the pace?
1: Oh yeah, I, I think. Well, but he was always a slim guy. You know, he was one of these guys that was as big as like a Toyota Corolla, <laughs> but had like a thirty-six inch waist. You know, he wasn't a he wasn't a big fat guy. So yeah. but he was probably
0: around three hundred pounds and six eight. Yeah. That's a big bug. Offensive tackle. Yeah. Now, if you picture somebody of that nature, even larger, tack on another hundy and, uh, you know, with like 28-inch biceps and uh, muscles from head to toe, I mean, that's a formidable opponent, uh, especially in animal format, non-human. Heck, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, something like that will just tear you down. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I've told. Uh, to, I'd be heading the other way at high speed. I've told you before, man. I have an account of one of these things running through the back wall of a barn. <laughs> I mean, just think about that stud wall, uh, uh, plank sheeting on the outside of the barn, blowing through it.
1: I'm thinking of the outline. Like was it the outline of the classic uh, patty film, yeah. kind of glancing over its <laughs> right shoulder?
0: <laughs> The old cartoons, right, where the figure would exactly. go through and you'd see the shape.
1: Yeah, you you saw the cutout of the uh, patty image, right? That I carved out and put on the back of my garden post.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> your neighbors, if your neighbors come over, well, you just had one of your neighbors over, right? Did they oh, comment yeah, they,
1: on they, it? Uh, they um, they know better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Honey, don't say anything to Kevin about the fence pinnules. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I call them
1: gargoyles.
0: Yeah, gargoyles. They're protecting the garden. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, it's good stuff, though. It's all done in good yeah, fun, you good, know.
1: Good, good, good. So what kind of account you have today, Bill?
0: Well, I'll tell you something. Let me just... Uh, pause for a second here. I was going to do one thing, and I still may do it, but uh, I'm thumbing through my stuff here, and there's one other... uh, Nah, I'm not going to do that. Let me... uh, Oh, you're teasing us. All right. Yeah, let me stay with what I got. Uh, This account was told to me by a guy named John Sharp. Uh, Speaking of the Frenchman from over the line in Canada... Uh, John was a former resident of Canada who now resides in Wisconsin. And this is what John had to say about a sighting that he had going back to 1965. So this is pre-Patterson-Gimblin. First of all, Bill, let me say that I was quite happy when I saw your inquiry regarding those who have either seen a Bigfoot or believe they have located evidence of their existence. Although I have told this tale many times, I am not convinced that any of those to whom I have told it through through the years actually believe me. So here we have a guy that's just open-faced saying, frankly, I don't think anybody's believed me, but here I am doing it again, which is telling the tale over. In 1965, I was 15 years old and living in Canada with my family, which consisted of myself, my mother and father, and three sisters. My father was an avid hunter and fisherman, which is to say that nobody had to twist his arm to get him to do either. At the time of this sighting, the Atlantic salmon run was on in the Restigouche River in New Brunswick. Each and every year, you would find my dad and many other gentlemen picking their own piece of paradise on the shores of the river in order to cast a fly for these beautiful fish. On this particular day, my dad had a, and I had arrived at a location to which we had come on many occasions. We could drive up fairly close to the river's banks here, with the forest being pretty much open, allowing us easy access in many spots to the bank of the river. From this location looking across the river, the distance was about 200 yards plus or minus to the other opposite bank, which consisted of about 20 feet of clear bank. So he's, he's dis- describing like basically a clear edge or a beach of sorts. And then he says, beyond this bank was a fairly dense line of pines which bordered a hillside that rose up behind them. On this particular morning, we had been fishing for about an hour or so when we heard what sounded like a woman screaming from the opposite shore with the difference being that the voice sounded too deep to be a woman. It sounded like the proverbial witch's shriek in a somewhat deeper tone, if that makes any sense. As soon as we heard it, our eyes focused on the opposite bank and beyond, looking for the source of the noise that we had heard. Mind you, neither my dad nor I, ever heard anything like this before, and we were baffled by what had made the shriek. No sooner than we started our scan, than did we start our scan of the bank, than did a bull moose come bolting out of the trees and started to run down the opposite bank heading away from us. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with a moose, It would generally take a whole lot to make a big male run, and apparently whatever had made this scream had what it took to do so. After the passing of about ten minutes or so, and having seen nor heard anything else, we were back to fishing on the bank and kicking around the thought of what we had heard. As I recall, perhaps an hour had passed, When my dad hooked into a real monster. He was fighting this fish for the better part of 20 minutes, chasing it down the bank, negotiating around the trees and bushes as he did so, when finally he landed the fish safely on the shore. It was truly a monster, and we hung it from the scale, weighing it in at 36 pounds. It was the biggest we had ever caught. We made our way back up to where the fight had begun, where I told my dad I would take his picture. My dad faced me and posed. He held his fly rod in his left hand with the rod upright and the butt end on the ground, and in his right hand he held the salmon by the gills. His back was to the river. And through the lens of my Kodak brownie, I could see him against the backdrop of the river with the opposing shore behind him. At that moment, I saw a huge, dark figure come out of the trees and step onto the bank. Not wanting to startle whatever it was with sudden movements of any kind, I said to my dad quietly, turn around slowly and look at the other shoreline. As soon as he turned around, I was already coming to his side when he said, my God in heaven, what is that? At 200 yards or so, we could tell immediately that this thing was huge. It was walking on two legs and had exceedingly long arms which hung from its sides as it walked. It moved with a very steady pace, taking long strides, and it was walking in the direction which the moose had run earlier. We realized then that whatever this was, it must have been the source of the prior scream which we had heard. Although we didn't have any field glasses, we both had a very good view of this creature as it walked some several hundred yards down the shore until ducking back into the trees, after which we could see it no more. We had no idea at the time of any creature named Bigfoot, and frankly, we had no idea what we had just witnessed with our own eyes. Neither of us had ever entertained the thought of this being a man in a costume. The thought in and of itself would have been preposterous. There was absolutely nobody out here and no way into that area except the way we had come on the opposite shore. And the shore we were looking at where this creature was was more than likely a million acres of wilderness why there wasn't even a home near this place for many many miles in any direction what we saw that day was a living breathing giant hair covered beast which we now know was a bigfoot i like many others have shared this story many times with the resultant comments being varied So I wanted to offer it up within a forum where people may actually appreciate what I had to say. And so I contacted you. And by the way, John, if you're listening, I am so glad that you contacted me. And I wonder how many others are out there who have had such an experience as John's for themselves and have never shared it with anyone. What do you think of that, Kevin? That is super cool, Bill. 1965. Yeah. And here you are talking about the Frenchman uh, hunting down this 10-foot-tall critter with seven-foot-long arms, and he's describing here very long arms, steady gait. Yeah,
1: and up a bit north of there, right? New Brunswick.
0: Yeah, just... uh, Creature walking along, and they hear this freaking ungodly shriek he describes as being a witch. Can you imagine, though, being in the woods? I still think about that recording you sent to me a while ago. Oh, yeah, the one that
1: sounds like a freight train. Oh, man.
0: Yeah. And that guy was there with a couple of little kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, a lot.
1: Off in the distance, sounded like a train, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if that thing was anywhere as near to you and let that out, man, it would just blow your toupee off. Remember in the Little Rascals when they had that, (laughs) the the guy behind the console while the band was playing? And the volume kept going up and the tubes were blowing out and his hairpiece was flying off? (laughs) What the heck was the name of that? The Marching, Maritime, they had some crazy name for their... uh, for Their band, well, yeah. yeah. I got
1: no chance at recalling that one. You might,
0: yeah, uh, whatever they were, they were awful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, this is something else, and you and I can both relate to it like being there, you know, fly fishing and somebody taking your picture, holding your prize catch, and seeing something across the way in the background,
0: right? Yeah, and 200 yards his estimate was 200 yards. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily that far uh where you couldn't see you know when i'm thinking 200 yards kev i'm I'm visualizing being in the end zone at sachem field yeah. and looking like to the back wall of say Somerset that's probably more than 200 yards yeah but you yeah. could i could easily see you yeah. walking along the sidewalk behind the building there and totally identify uh, what I'm looking at, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it, yeah. Uh,
0: So 200 yards is not a stretch, especially if you're looking at some kind of monster.
1: Yeah, if you're looking at something 10 feet tall covered in hair, standing on its feet, you know. Yeah, walking really
0: strange, you know? Yeah. Kind of loping along with that pendulum-like arm swing they have, you know? No doubt about it. I mean,
1: you wouldn't you're not going to mistake a bear for the monster.
0: No, you know? there ain't no way, man. Yeah. It always brings me back to the Patty film where you're looking at it just like kind yeah, of... you're lo- not
1: thinking, wow, that might be a bear.
0: No, right. a very deliberate uh, movement of the arm, and then it just rolls its head around to take a look and just keeps lumbering forward, you know, like it's on a mission, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. These things, you look, let's face it, these things fear no man. They're not they're not afraid of you. Uh they may walk away from you if that's their dispensation for the moment, but they're not afraid of you. Right. I mean I could see one getting cracked with some twelve gauge ammo and boogie and uh maybe because of the sting or something, but uh as far as uh Uh, being afraid of you? No way. I think they'll just stand their ground. They'll come and go as they please. Yep. Amazing, man. Very cool. That 1886 uh, encounter, it's just mind-boggling. I wish I knew a little bit more about uh, what the Indians uh, in that area had said going back. Because uh, they were mentioned in the piece, right?
1: Yeah, they uh, the Native Americans reference it as Pamula. So cool. I'll I'll do some more looking around because I want to be uh, very well versed in the hairy man in that part of the country as I had back up there this summer. And they 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 also they have a great museum apparently to Bigfoot and other cryptids in uh, I think it's in Portland, Maine. I've never been there, but I'll definitely be there this time around.
0: Yeah, pick, make sure you pick the guy's brain up there and see if he can turn you on to any eyewitnesses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be great to get a little, uh, make a couple of contacts while you're in the neighborhood, you know? Super cool, absolutely. Did I tell you I spoke to that guy, uh, uh, Darryl, the other day? Uh, you were talking about him and uh, I think... Yeah,
1: I was teasing that he was with Daryl and his other brother, Daryl.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well he's he's a, a cop retiring very soon. Right. And he's becoming the sole BFRO rep in Montana. Yeah, Northern Idaho. Northern, Northern Idaho. Idaho, excuse me. Yeah. So this Reese g- Lake, that's a hotbed up there. Yeah, this guy can become uh I mean if he's willing to do it and I, I asked him if he would be. Uh he would be an excellent resource. Yeah. Uh,
1: Did you tell them the pay is non-existent and the hours are long?
0: I don't even discuss pay. <laughs> Do your work and shut up. <laughs> so where you at, brother? Where we got in our mail today?
1: We got some good
0: listener mail in.
1: Right. Um, first one comes from Will, and Will writes about materials used in luring Bigfoot, like uh-huh. attracting Bigfoot. Uh huh. And Will says, your radio podcast rocks. I learn more about Bigfoot and cryptids here than most places. WJ and KJ have this way with words and data that makes me good with being a quote unquote regular listener. Uh (laughs) Stellar reporting on the weird drone mystery. Uh How weird. And he says, Have these, Has there been any more evidence brought forth upon the effectiveness of using a rattlesnake and or an eel as an effective lure of sorts to try to bring in potential Bigfoot into the area? The last I read, which was years ago, there were varying reports of the effectiveness of elk, lamb, and possum, with a lone report of a wasp jerky being used in a unique circumstance. I believe there is something about the wadding process which makes this rather repulsive nougat attractive to the Bigfoot. And he talks about Professor Strokes Goose Lake reports indicate that mixing uh, the different wads tended to repel the Bigfoots as indicated by their bending oak after oak over like wire coat hangers as they fled. I'll never forget that haunting passage from the testimony of his endeavors. Thank you for all the good work you do and all involved with getting your work out to the people. I'm a believer. Will.
0: Yeah, Kev, did you, uh, when I l- looked at that, as you know I have, yeah. What is that terminology, wadding? I don't know. I, I was
1: going to ask you. Yeah, I have no I'm idea. I'm guessing they kind of wadded together in a ball, maybe, you know.
0: But well, like, he's talking uh, about snakes and, snakes and eels and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Very strange. I was ready for you to answer that one. Yeah, no, I wish I could. If anybody else out there knows uh, what the fella is talking about in reference to wadding... Yeah,
1: or what's used to attract, you know, successfully attract Bigfoot? I don't know.
0: The only thing I've ever seen people use is like when they call the gifting. Yeah, I've seen people use some dumb things like putting donuts out there and stuff, which it may yeah, not be dumb, but it sure
1: looks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it
0: sure looks dumb, you know, to put a, I, a frosted. I cream-filled donut out there well it's
1: pretty for me it's impossible to say oh I put the cream-filled donut out there and it's gone (laughs) it
0: must (laughs) be a Bigfoot yeah listen really could have been anything could have been me (laughs) Exactly. If I saw a Bavarian cream donut laying on a log, brother, it's gone. What
1: would be cool is if you're in the middle of nowhere in British (laughs) Columbia, you put out a Bavarian cream donut, and then you come back, and there's two boxes of
0: Bavarian cream (laughs) donuts. Remember the coyote in the Roadrunner? He'd hang a sign over a tin of uh, bird food, and it would say, like, eat me. Yeah. And the roadrunner would just go by and eat it like it was nothing and then take off. And he'd go look at it like, why didn't this work? Yeah, and it would fall on his head and (laughs) handle or something. (laughs) That dumbest stuff. (laughs) (coughs) Oh, oh, my goodness.
1: All right, Bill. Our next note comes in from Rob, who is currently living in British Columbia, but he was born in the U.K. Uh Uh-huh. And Rob listened to one of our recent podcasts about the big cat sightings over the years in the UK. Yeah, here we go. So this is good. This is what we asked for. So Rob writes, after listening to yesterday's show, I felt compelled to write to you about big cats in England. You see, I was born and bred in the town of Barnstaple. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly in the county of Devon in England very close to Exmoor and Dartmoor. I'm a country bumpkin, so to speak, and am now a landed immigrant living just across the border from Washington State in British Columbia, home of a mutual acquaintance of ours. Yeah. (laughs) He says, I was a school kid when the beast of Exmoor hit the headlines, which it did on a regular basis in the early 80s. I became quite obsessed with it it was both scary and exciting as a school kid. A close friend of my dad's, a wealthy businessman with about fifty acres of woodland and a trout farm, claimed to have seen the big cat in a field near his property. So that just did it for me. It all started when a local farmer began began losing sheep and lambs on a regular basis, but the meat had been eaten and cleaned the way. Into taking more, a large, what, what do you say? And, and had been eaten in a way that a large cat or dog would do. Huh. He's also seen tracks, and locals began seeing the cats. They said it was like a large black panther. There we go. Yeah. Bear in mind, farmers are legally allowed to shoot your dog on site if it's harassing the livestock. This farmer was losing a huge amount of money and eventually a small team of snipers from the Royal Marine Commandos were deployed and roughed it out near the farm to kill the beast. Serious boys who would have gone to serve in the Falklands conflict around the same time also. They never did they never did shoot the cat but they did in fact see it several times through their night vision scopes. I always remember reading in the newspaper that one of the commandos was reported as saying that the cat always stayed very close to the farm buildings and they were under strict orders not to shoot anywhere near the farm. He reported it as if the cat almost knew that that was the case. They stated 100% it was a large cat. They never got it in in uh, never got it in overtime. Elsewhere in the county report, country reports came through, such as the Surrey Puma and the Beast of Bodmin, to name a couple. Hmm. They were too well. There were two well-known cases where a schoolboy was attacked by a large cat and actually suffer, suffered claw marks. While, while in a field. And I saw those pictures. The boy was like clawed across the face by like a large cat. Ugh. You know, definitely looked like a large cat, you know, scratched him. Yeah. And he says, in my mind, uh, there was nothing supernatural about these cases and that it's all down, it all came down to the 1976 Exotic Animal Act. My dad, my dad said that he knew for a fact that people have gone up to the wilds and simply released their large pet exotic cats. You need to remember that back then, in the UK, in the UK, you can actually purchase wild large cats, and it was well known in Harrod's store in London, where I re- recall you could buy a lion cub. And I re- I read that as well, Bill, and I saw a picture. I couldn't find it again. Uh, after we published a podcast of a woman, like in, uh, you know, beautiful clothes, walking out of a shop on High Street in London, walking a cheetah or leopard on a leash.
0: It's hard to believe, isn't it? Just crazy. That, you know, know, how the the heck can you think that that is in any way, shape or form a good thing to be doing? Well... And
1: listen to this. He said, when my dad last came to visit a couple of years ago, for some reason, we got talking about the subject. And he told me an incredible story that he never told me before. He said that the local butcher in the high street in Barnstaple had the traditional all-glass storefront windows. He said in the evening, when you walked up the high street, sat looking out, was what you saw looking out at you was was a large, what he described as, puma in the shop front door. It was used as a burglar deterrent by the owner. Unbelievable. He said if you'd had a few pints in the pub and walked past, it gave you the fright of your life.
0: Oh, my God. No kidding, right? And he says no guesses as to where this large cat ended up. Yeah. You know, so, Kev, what is it? It's as I was thinking that these things were released. Oh, same thing I said, yeah. Yep. They were released they, over there. Okay,
1: MVP. Yeah, it was okay to have these cats until 1976, and then they passed this Exotic Animal Act where, you know, you had to uh, get a permit for them, try to get a permit for them if you could, and then pay a fine. Well, so people well, yeah. just let them loose, right? They're not going to kill them if it was their pet.
0: Yeah, I mean, very irresponsible, but nevertheless, I am certain That people let those things go. Yeah. Uh, And Rob
1: writes, I'll I'll just finish it up because this is a great letter, Rob. Thank you so much. He said, thought I'd give you these little snippets. I love your show. And yesterday's show brought back many good memories for me, and I actually felt a little homesick. Keep up the great work and stay safe, Rob.
0: You know, two things. Rob, if you're listening, and I bet you are, I'd really like to know what prompted you to move from there all the way over to the uh, northwest coast uh, up where you went. But having said that, uh, it's the perfect example. When we cry out to the listeners and say, if you've seen something, say something. This is a guy that just gone above and beyond... Uh, in his writing to us with what he knew, uh, what more he knew about these cats, uh, the big cats in that area, you know, and folks do not be shy, reach out to us. If you've seen something like Rob, it doesn't have to be as elaborate, but just feel free to contact us and lay it on us, whatever you've seen, whatever, you know, don't be afraid don't think that it's not worthy of uh, our attention. We appreciate everything that our listeners say and do. Awesome.
1: Good yeah. stuff. All right, Bill. We, we got another letter here from Marisol in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. so up in the upper left of New York State. I do a fair amount of backpacking in the northern Adirondack range. To date... I haven't shared much of anything in regards to my own personal findings, but your show has sparked a new life in me. There you go. Over the yeah, over the past 15 years or so, I have personally come upon about a dozen or so good tracks. One of find one of the finds was a set of 5 that petered out going from soft to hard ground and leaves. I've heard you talking about the hospital security guard sharing his brother's photo with you from these parts, and I thought I would add my testimony to the mix. Keep up the great work. Best podcast on the planet by far. And you gents deserve a radio spot for sure. Marisol. Uh, Is there still such a thing as radio?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm a big radio buff. Uh, Just checking. Uh, uh, You know, interesting that somebody's actually listening to what I'm saying, right, Kev? Mm. When I shared about the security guard popping his... Uh, brother's photograph of the print in the Adirondacks. Yeah. And uh, it's just that easy, folks. I mean, what Marisol saw was, what'd she say, a series of prints? Yeah. Freaking phenomenal. Yeah, fantastic. You fantastic. Know? And, uh, again, kind of hiding back in the shadows, maybe not willing to share with too many, maybe getting the brush off from a few people. But it's evidence, you know? She she obviously felt it was compelling enough for her to identify it as a Bigfoot. What can you say about that, you know? Yeah. It's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Marisol in the Buffalo area. Uh, How far north do the Adirondacks extend, Kev? Do you know? No idea. I wonder if they run up into Canada. Uh, Anyways, it's just. I don't know. I know it's a big range and a long ways out there, you know. It's a
1: big old range, right? Those old mountains just kind of worn down, not too tall, not too sharp, you know, just kind of worn down mountains.
0: Yeah, very ancient range as opposed to some of those today that are still growing. Exactly. From the uh, tectonic movement. Volcanic activity. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, our last letter,
1: Bill, comes in from Bernie in Northern Cal. He says, I heard you boys speaking about some growers having a run-in with the hairy guy up in these parts. And it happens more than you think. Even though we have legalization, there will always be a market for a more, more affordable and untaxed product. I personally have seen on two occasions a Sasquatch apparently watching me from the woods. No indication of aggression. It seemed more interested in who I was and what I was doing. Given the right circumstances, I may not be here, but such was not the case. It was definitely two different creatures, one being much larger and darkly colored and the other one kind of rust colored. People need to understand that we are visitors in their domain, and not the other way around. In both instances, I've never—I never heard them coming, and if I didn't have eyes in the back of my head, I wouldn't have seen them either. Great show, Bernie.
0: Well, when were we talking about growers? I assume he's talking about marijuana. Did we touch yeah, him? Yeah, I was—I was talking about the uh, Hulu TV series. Called Sasquatch. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's. I'm trying yeah. to. I said we were yeah. saying something about this. Yeah,
1: I was. I was talking about that series because somebody wrote in and said, "Have you seen it?" And I took three nights and watched it, which I really liked. It uh-huh. It was well done. And then you had mentioned when I was talking about it, I didn't. I didn't give the show away because I don't. I don't want to give away the ending or anything like that. Right. But you were saying that you had also heard of. Uh, kill a Folks mountain having run into um the
0: hairy man up there yeah yeah it's uh it's interesting and really it doesn't matter there or anywhere else these people are uh out in the thick of it uh trying to be somewhere where nobody else is And uh, that's typically where you're going to run into one of these buggers.
1: Yeah, it's very, very rural up there. And um, in Northern California, they call that area the uh, Emerald Triangle because it is uh, historically an area where a lot
0: of marijuana was grown Mm -hmm. um, illegally, of course. Amazing, man. Just freaking, you know, the plot thickens, as they say. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's up there in... uh, in the Paddy Film area as well,
0: no doubt. That's that yeah. whole region up there. It's Mendocino
1: an en- County and Humboldt and places yeah. like that.
0: So yeah, it's an enormous expanse of. I've the- been up
1: there too, not uh not in, uh, not on these marijuana plantations, but uh, up in the mountains there, and it is as rural as rural gets. And you know, it extends straight up there north through Oregon, through Washington State, and into British Columbia.
0: Amazing, man. That is absolutely amazing. It's
1: cool stuff. All right, Bill. Well, that's it this week. Um, Let's uh, get some five-star reviews going, please, folks. Uh, We need some more. Um, Those five-star reviews that you leave us on your favorite podcast player are virtually the only means of attracting new listeners to the podcast. So um, please give us a five-star review. By getting more listeners, we can... uh, um, keep on schedule and continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah, awesome. If you should be walking along in, where was it, Kent Dartmoor? Barnstable? Perhaps it's a good idea that you too should always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.